A young rock guitarist in awe of Eddie Van Halen gets to spend a lost weekend with the band in Mexico. We did the crazy Cabo weekend with them. They were big rock stars and there was a lot of partying going on. This was where he really started to see like how hard these guys were. For the first time in his life, he gets to see the guitar god perform up close at a tiny Mexican club. I never saw anybody's fingers move like that. Just seeing it was sort of a chilling moment because he was such a virtuoso. This turned out to be the only time I ever saw him. When he died, I thought, man, thank God I got to see him once. Hey, welcome back to Sonic Impact. Hi, everyone. That's Olivia Goldberg. And I'm Elliot Goldberg, if you haven't noticed, her father. But you know that by now. We're now on the eighth episode. And this is a really fun one, Olivia. This is Van Halen. Yeah, this is a great one. I think this is the first interview that I ever heard. Yeah, this was one of the early ones we did, and the quality probably wasn't as good as some of the later ones because we were just trying to figure it out. But the guest is one of my favorite people on earth, Joel Stillerman, who, in full disclosure, was my boss at AMC. But Joel had a long career at MTV way before this, and that's where we'll get into this story. This is one of the few stories this season that's about actually getting to hang with the band, like partying with the band. That's really fun. Yeah, it's quite an adventure. Yep, it is. Well, as we do every episode before we dive into our story and our guest, we talk a little bit about what's currently impacting us sonically. And one of the dynamics about this podcast is the difference between Olivia's generation and my generation and sort of our taste in music. But there are often things where they come together and they intersect. And this band is one of those that we both discovered early in your life and late in my life. And we both bonded over this band. Yeah, so he's talking about this band called The Head and the Heart. You might have heard of them. They're actually one of my overall favorite bands. I really love almost every single one of their songs. It's interesting because they are very different than any of other music that I listen to. They're kind of folky, but they're also not really a folk band. Yeah, if you haven't heard Head and the Heart, I definitely recommend you go pick up one of their five albums. They're just one of those bands that consistently has built up a following and like you said, there is some folk elements. They use acoustic guitars, but they've also gotten more and more rocky and also more complex the more albums they've done. So I would say there's been a transformation of Head and the Heart. I agree. They're definitely becoming more pop and rock sounding, but even their earlier stuff, which is probably like the heaviest folk, doesn't really sound folky. For me, the music reminds me of my summer camp and just good songs that are about nature and life. I mean, even the band name, The Head and the Heart, I love the name. They're just very deep and great songwriters, and the lead singer's got an amazing voice, really just can do it all. And they have a female member who plays keyboards and fiddle, which is a really cool addition, like an electric fiddle. I would definitely check out Head and the Heart when you can. If you get to go see them in concert, they're an excellent band. And there's also an Amazon documentary they play on the roof in Seattle from their hometown, which I think is really a great introduction to this band. I've never seen that. I should see that. You definitely would love it. But the head and the heart have absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today, <laughs> which is Van Halen. Now, Van Halen holds a special place in my heart. And Olivia, I don't think you really are very familiar with Van Halen before this, right? I'm not sure I could name you a Van Halen song. That is awesome. Well, I had a guitar teacher when I was in high school who was a Van Halen-like maniac. He could play every Van Halen song, do all the Eddie Van Halen techniques. I mean, everyone knows their signature sound is Eddie Van Halen, the guitarist, his incredible technique, and Joel talks about that a lot. 
That is something I did know. I'm definitely aware that he's one of the greatest guitar players of all time. But in doing my research on the band, I found out a lot of really interesting stuff that I didn't previously know. So Van Halen is one of the greatest rock bands from the 70s and 80s. They were formed in 1974. They had six hit albums from 1978 to 1984, so pretty much consecutively just releasing hit albums up until 1985 when the band replaced their original singer David Lee Roth with a new singer, Sammy Hagar, which led to the nickname Van Hagar. Yep, there was a lot of criticism because David Lee Roth had just come off this big album, 1984, with Jump and Panama and Hot for Teacher, and then all of a sudden they replaced him with this singer, Sammy Hagar. So they're in 1990, and they're coming off this super successful run. Sammy Hagar had visited Cabo San Lucas in Baja, Mexico, and he absolutely fell in love with it. This is Cabo, which we've all heard of, but at the time, it was this sleepy little fishing village that didn't have really any electricity or telephones or anything that was really just not very well known. And for some reason, Sammy Hagar ended up there and fell in love with it. So he had this idea for a long time to open this rock club in Cabo. But I read a quote that said, even though he was in Van Halen, lead singer of this massive band, he didn't really have the money to just spend on it, but he ended up making it happen. So in April of 1990, when he finally opens Cabo Wabo, MTV decides that they're going to come for the grand opening of this rock club and they're going to film the whole weekend and the show to promote this new club in this small town in Mexico that no one had heard of. So today's guest is Joel Stillerman. Now, Joel has an illustrious film and TV career. He's produced major feature films. He ran programming at AMC and Hulu, responsible for shows like The Walking Dead. But at this time in 1990, Joel is a producer for MTV. And MTV is going to send Joel down to Cabo for the weekend to shoot with Van Halen this event called Viva Van Halen Saturday. He's going to bring in fans. They're going to put on this amazing, intimate club show. MTV is going to come down and shoot the whole thing. So the year is 1990. We're in Cabo San Lucas. And this is Van Halen's Sonic Impact on Joel Stillerman. I was born and raised in um, a suburb right out of Chicago. I was in junior high school, uh, you know, I mean, I remember it vividly. I disappointed my my parents by um, hating and then finally whining my way out of piano lessons. Picked up a guitar, but it wasn't more than a year or two when I got my first electric guitar. You know, every kid wants to be a rock guitarist. And um, so, you know, we started listening to a lot of like country rock. We were into like the Allman Brothers, Marshall Tucker. But by 1978, I wasn't listening to a lot of new rock music until this little record called Van Halen came out. Van Halen was sort of like, you know, found me at a moment when rock was not lighting it up for me. Uh, but that changed immediately when I put that record on. As a guitarist, because every guitarist who plays a, an electric guitar, any Van Halen has some impact on, I don't care who you are. So in my junior year in high school, when Van Halen comes out, I had a very dear friend who I used to play guitar with, and we both loved the kinks. He must have had the record, and he played You Really Got Me, you know, cover. And, you know, I was just blown away, and I went and got the record. And so it must have been a couple of days later, and I was sitting in my bedroom. I queued it up from the beginning. I was, like, totally in, you know, with Running With The Devil. And then Eruption comes on. I must have listened to it 50 times. I remember thinking, like, I should just put the electric guitar down. I don't even know what he's doing. I probably picked it up and went, what is going on there? Like, 
I'd never heard anything like it. You know, I was a kid who wanted to learn the solo from Blue Sky by the Elder Brothers or Freebird if I really got to like some epic place. And then you hear Eruption and you're just like, there's no hope. Transcendent and crushing at the same time. That moment for most young teenage guitar players was like your head just exploded that the guitar could sound like that, that someone could play like that, that it literally changed the instrument forever. And so as guitarists in this moment, it's even more meaningful. So let's fast forward now. A little background on this moment in your MTV career. What were you doing that led you to this moment in music? This particular moment happened in 1990, the first full year of my employment at MTV. I got hired to be an executive producer, um, sort of studio music shows. So at the time I was overseeing Top 20 Countdown, Headbangers Ball, 120 Minutes, Yo! MTV Raps. But in 1990, I was 29 years old in the job of a lifetime. I was a real major music junkie. Um, I mean, needless to say, for a music fan, it was a dream job. You're 19, you're at MTV, and you get to go to Cabo. Tell us how that happens and then what happens after. I had never seen Ben Halen live, and I went to a lot of concerts, but I just never seen them live. And so when somebody from the band's management would call up somebody at the channel and go, hey, we're, we're opening this club in, you know, Cabo, uh, San Lucas, um, you know, can you guys come down and cover it? And uh, I probably would have had to have gone to my boss and said, I know it's not really my job right now, but if I could just go to this Van Halen thing, I would be eternally grateful. And uh, so I ended up down there with another producer, Alex Coletti, who produced Unplugged from the beginning. So Alex was sort of the real producer down there. And I was just down there to sort of supervise and keep an eye on it. So you basically pushed your way in because you loved Van Halen. You're like, I'm going to be on this one. Correct. This would not have been in my job descriptions. I probably weaseled my way into it in some way because I just thought I wouldn't mind going to Mexico and I really want to see Van Halen. All right. So what was this weekend event? So we're in 1990. So we're post David Lee Roth and um, we're into the Sammy Hager chapter. And Sammy had had this long kind of love affair with Cabo San Lucas, which at the time, it really was off the grid, you know, two hours from the nearest airport at the end of the peninsula. And, um, but he had fallen in love with the place and really kind of put up his own money and basically said, I want to build a club there, which was unbelievable. He just wanted to build a music venue where musicians could go down there and jam, which was kind of a crazy idea because I actually remember thinking, who the hell is going to show up for this thing? It was strangely out of place in Cabo, which was a bunch of like little shacks and storefronts. And the club was you know, pretty big. I mean, you know, they built this thing and it was sort of like, if we build it, they will come. And because they were Van Halen and they had a really deep relationship with MTV and they were sort of perfectly positioned as one of the early, you know, sort of like iconic MTV bands. When they said, we're opening up a club in Cabo, where we're going to play. I'm pretty sure the answer was, we'll be there. Just tell us when. Well, so what was your role then that weekend? What we were probably, you know, doing was sort of a weekend worth of VJ segments, guest VJ segments. So Alex and I went down to produce those VJ segments. And what made this weekend amazing is that usually when we were dealing with bands of that size, like you'd get them for like an hour, but they were just down there really having fun, you know? And so we sort of had access to them all weekend and it turned into this lost weekend with Van Halen, where we were with them day and night for two or three days. And, you know, many adventures ensued. All right. So 
it's an interesting moment. Most time rock stars, they don't want to really hang with the producers of the event. So Van Halen was different. Explain how they kind of embraced you. They were, you know, yeah, I mean, at that point, you know, MTV was already pretty well established. So 1990, it had been around for nine years. And these guys were literally like, oh, you guys are the MTV guys? Great. Come on, let's go party. There was no pretense. Um, they seemed to be in a great place. I mean, Sammy Hager was beside himself. They were just in a great partying mood and they were psyched. And I think none of them had seen the club fully built until they got down there. And so I think they were just blown away that it was so cool and it was cooler than they thought it would be. And they were just into it, you know? And, and I also think they were just good guys. I'm sure they had their bad days. We know that they had some ups and downs on the personnel front and it wasn't always, you know, smooth sailing behind the scenes. But at that particular moment, we definitely caught them at a really nice moment and they were, you know, super psyched to hang with us. Usually bands or artists are like asked to go do a thing, go somewhere. This was come to our place. So they were like, they own this thing, literally. That's right. I mean, it definitely had that vibe. You know, this isn't some promotional obligation that the label jammed us with. They were into it and they wanted us there and they were psyched about the whole project. Psyched to share it with the world. Let's talk about the highlights of the Lost Weekend with Van Halen for you. You know, one amazing memory from this trip, and it's one of my most treasured, but we went out on a little deep sea fishing expedition. We probably partied very late Friday night, and it was relatively early on Saturday morning because they would have had a sound check that afternoon. So we're probably out on a boat at like 10 in the morning. And Cabo San Lucas is known for its deep sea fishing. So we probably just chartered a boat and it was me and Ricky Rackman and Kari Wurr and Alex Coletti and the band, you know, drinking started early. Um, Sammy liked his tequila. And so tequila came out. And I mean, this was where you really started to see like how hard these guys were, um, you know, and how funny, I mean, that their chemistry was so great. Obviously, Eddie and Alex had this literal brotherly, you know, chemistry, but then we had sort of a funny dynamic. But Michael Anthony was also like just a funny dude outside from being a sick bass player. And um, we were out there, you know, for probably two or three hours. I don't know that we ever dropped a fishing hole in the water, but it was absolutely gorgeous. We were all in a great mood. It was a beautiful day. We just literally hung out when we weren't shooting and talked about their music and about music in general. And they wanted to know a lot about MTV. And, um, you know, there was a lot of ball busting and they were like little travelogues. So we went ATVing with them up in the hills. And, you know, so we kind of did it all, man. We, you know, we did like the crazy Cabo weekend with them. Were they uh, drunk the whole weekend on alters and raps? I mean, there was a lot of partying going on. Um, they were not shy about it. They were big rock stars and it was pretty prolific. Did you have any good conversations specifically with him that you remember, like, stood out with you, something he said or did? You know, when we were out on the boat about picking up a guitar for the first time, um, Eddie was wanted to be the drummer and actually had bought a drum set. He would come home every day and, there, and Alex would be pounding on it. And at one point basically said, I just turned to Alex and I was like, all right, fuck it, you play the drums and give me that guitar. I was like, how can that be? Like, it's the greatest accident in rock and roll history. Uh, but, you know, at, by this point, like we kind of felt friendly. I, I mean, at this point in my life, I was not under any delusion that Eddie Van Halen and I were going to be hanging out after this. But it really was one of those weekends where there was a real camaraderie there. As great as the weekend was from a social perspective, you got to see Van Halen. You'd never seen him before in a concert. And here you are in a small club. I'm assuming your front row or whatever it was. Explain what it must have been like for a guy like you to be there. 
I mean, this was the best part of the weekend. I mean, this is really what I wanted. The rest was just gravy, but I really wanted to see Van Halen. And so we went to the club for their sound check. It was just us in the club and they started sound checking. And I don't think they were on the road at the time. So it was probably a more robust sound check than they, and they basically almost played like a set. You know, we were probably about 20 feet from the stage when Eddie Van Halen picked up that crazy Franken Strat that he played. Just seeing it was sort of a chilling moment. But then it gets plugged in and everybody's just sort of tooling around and sound checking. And, you know, he just starts noodling. And it was chilling um, because he was such a virtuoso. And he started running through things that he's done, you know, a million times. But just seeing him play in that sort of raw, unstructured state, you know, running through scales, warming up the finger tapping thing that he became, you know, so famous for, all the harmonics. Just seeing it in person reminded me of how not earthly he was with respect to his skills as a guitar player. His playing, it was just, there's just a virtuoso aspect to it. I never saw anybody's fingers move like that, you know, up and down the fretboard. The sort of skill level was just off the charts. And um, I think they might've started with Panama or Jump and, you know, like stuff from 1984, which to me, you know, Van Halen, the debut album, Van Halen 2, 1984, you know, those were like the, the high watermarks for me. But then they went into some deeper tracks like DOA and stuff like that. And just seeing them just like that, hearing them talk in between tracks and talk about either like a mix issue or a monitor issue, it was just, it felt like a different kind of sound check. I mean, sound checks are usually pretty boring. 20 minutes and they're on and they're off, or maybe they'll run through one thing and then it's over. This was getting to watch them jam, get back in road form, come together as a band. And again, they were just in such a good mood that it was just a joy to watch. So, you know, watching that before the crowd came in, like one-on-one us and the band moment, it was, it was incredible. I think we asked him to play Eruption and he said, nah, I'm, I'm good. We might've gotten a couple of licks, but that was about it. They did do Hot for Teacher that day. Cause I remember getting like goosebumps when Alex starts with that psychotic 32 bar drum fill. It's just like, I mean, you know, still to this day, it never gets old to be around live performance and that energy of a band coming off of a stage, having just crushed it for two hours was hard to describe, but they all literally hit that little VIP room upstairs. Sammy Hager came off the stage, grabbed a beer, saw us. We all sort of like went, that was amazing. And he literally just leaned in and kissed me hard on the lips. And it was witnessed. I turned to my MTV peeps and I was like, okay, you guys just saw that, right? Like he just kissed me right on the lips and he was just so excited. And then he just went on, they'll go hug the guys in the band. But it was just one of those funny moments where I was like, did that just happen? Did Sammy Hager just kiss me on the lips? How was he as a kisser? Cause that's a big deal. Now, Elliot, in the millisecond that it lasted, I was just sort of stunned, but you know, not bad is the answer. You really feel like in this case, they've accepted you, their buddies, like when they see, hey, man, it's a, and you go through that weekend and you're part of the Van Halen crew and then it's over. Yeah, no, that's right. But I'm not kidding when I tell you that uh, when Eddie, I hadn't looked at that picture in a long time, but when Eddie passed last year, I saw the news and I immediately posted it on social media. And it just brought me such joy, like such a vivid memory. Not many people in life get to actually meet Eddie Van Halen. So meet him, one thing. Watch him close up another. Spend the weekend with Eddie Van Halen during a time when he was at the height of his fun guy, party guy, rock and roll king. What's your memory of Eddie from that weekend and, and anything specific? 
he was a really down to earth guy. He never had a reputation of being like a big diva, but he just was this sort of California laid back, just extremely nice and extremely low key. And there was no sort of rock star trappings, you know, even like the clothes, they were all walking around in like in beach shorts and t-shirts. And, you know, he was walking around in this painter overalls that were cut off shorts. And, um, just remember him just being a real grounded down to earth guy who actually said, tell me about you guys. What do you do? What, you know, what is your job at MTV? Like, you know, he really wanted to know, you know, these things aren't friendships. But you also get to know the good ones from the bad ones, you know, on a human level, you know, pretty quickly. And I think he was a good guy. I really do. Clearly a life altering moment when you're that close to. So maybe in the arena, when you're at a club, in a sound check with the guy who blew your mind. This podcast is all about those musical moments that change your life forever. Clearly, this was that moment for you. If given Eddie's death now and, and where you started in your life as a musician at MTV, how does it culminate in that moment for you? If I were to write my musical fan biography, like that Alan would play a big role. Like I said, that initial record came at a weird time for me and it really pulled me back into rock and roll. And then for many years and many records, they were sort of pinnacle of like pop rock music. I'm not sure who I would point to as a parallel for pure skills as musicians. But, you know, before you use the word fun, they were a great party band. Those poppy hits that were like perfect. I also love the fact that they were such prolific coverers of music. They did a couple of great Kinks covers. I thought that the Pretty Woman cover that they did was one of the best rock and roll covers I've ever heard. So to me, this turned out to be the only time I ever saw him. When he died, I thought back and I thought, man, thank God I got to see him once. Uh, and it was like an important thing for me as a music fan. I mean, after that, I can tell you for the next year or two, I played a lot more electric guitar, just trying to figure some of it out, never got close. But it was one of those transcendent moments, mostly because we got to see them live in a very intimate setting. Just the idea that it came with this real bonding with those guys. I'm sure they forgot about it the moment they got on the plane, but I didn't. And it's one of those lifetime memories I'll never forget. You'll never forget your first kiss with a man. Exactly. That, that probably was my first kiss with a man. Joel, this has been fantastic. I appreciate um, you sharing this great memory. It's so great to hear these stories of how um, music just has this transcending moment on your life. Well, fun to uh, unpack the memory. I haven't talked about this in depth for a while, though when Eddie died, I did have a funny uh, little exchange with, with Alex. But fun to talk about it. And congrats on the podcast, man. So a lot to unpack here, Olivia, as usual. I think one of the things to note is we recorded this a while ago and Eddie had just passed away. So it was a very poignant discussion with Joel about the fact that he got to hang out with Eddie, that he got to see Eddie at some point in his life. And now that he had passed away, it really sort of took on a new meaning for Joel. Yeah, that's extremely meaningful. Even being able to see your idol in concert before they die, I feel like is something that's really special. But to have this sort of experience, literally once in a lifetime experience that he got to have with his idol. So I can imagine when he found out that Eddie died and then kind of getting to reflect on that, he kind of relived this. I think so. He said he pulled out pictures from that time and posted that. It's, it becomes more frequent that we lose our rock heroes. These memories become even more important for us, for sure. Let's talk about a few happier things. 
Van Halen was known as the party band, Olivia. Like they were notorious partiers, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was debauchery with this band. And so for Joel to be able to, for a couple of days, live out that lifestyle, that rock and roll lifestyle, drinking, partying, being wild, that is literally the greatest dream for a guy who's at this point probably in his, you know, 30s. I would literally never be able to return to an office in my life if I just got a taste of it. I feel like I would have to just like quit everything and chase that dream because that sounds incredible. And of course, he got kissed by Sammy Hagar, which was just one of those great little funny moments that you'll never forget. You know, Joel, he comes off the stage and he gives Joel a big smack on the lips. And I think it really threw him, but he, but he just loved that. Insane. Not a lot of people can say that, especially probably men. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And a little note, Olivia, the person who sent Joel to this shoot was Joel Gallen. He was his boss, our first guest. So Joel Gallen was responsible for Joel Stillerman to go down and party with Van Halen. That's too weird. Yes, it is kind of funny. It's a very small world of MTV and music and television. But the other big takeaway from this story is really about guitar. And those of us who play guitar, especially electric guitar when we were teenagers, it was inexplicable how mind-blowing Van Halen was for any guitar player. He did things with that guitar. The sounds that he made, the techniques were impossible to copy. We tried, but for Joel as a kid to have played guitar, been blown away by Eddie, and then be down there in this little club watching him do all these things, he's never seen him before. I mean, lots of people can see a concert and go see Eddie Van Halen but not at that close range. Yeah, I've been to a lot of concerts, as I've mentioned, and it really does make a difference when you get an opportunity to be closer, especially when you really love the artist. I think it makes all the difference in the world. If you get to be up close and personal, it's so different to actually like see their fingers moving or see their mouths moving with your own eyes than just kind of see them as a speck and you're watching the screen. Like, I think Getting those moments where you get to actually be up close are the most thrilling and special and meaningful moments when it comes to live music. So to have that experience, not only up close, but for the very first time in, in Cabo and then the layer of getting to party with them is just, oh my God, a dream. It's a dream. Well, Olivia, it's hard to put into words what seeing Van Halen play guitar would be like. I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you love rock and roll or how much you love guitar shredding. To see Eddie Van Halen is to see one of the greatest musicians of all time. And so it was that lightning bolt moment for Joel. Yes, he got to party with Van Halen. Yes, he got to get kissed by Sammy Hagar. He got to go on a boondoggle in Cabo. All that's true. But to be in a club watching rehearsal with Eddie Van Halen playing his greatest licks, so to speak, you cannot put that into words for a young guitarist. No, and there's something about the rehearsal too that's especially intimate because the show, as amazing as the shows are, everyone's seeing that. But the fact that he got kind of this like exclusive look into the rehearsal, which to the band is no big deal, and to him was probably the most life-changing part of it all. Absolutely. I think what it reminds you, for those of us who work in the entertainment industry, we get these incredible opportunities to meet our heroes, to spend time with them, in this case, to party with them. And Joel didn't go into a lot of detail about the partying, but I can only imagine what the rest of that weekend must have been like. I can only imagine. 
I think he had to sort of censor it a little bit, but I think we can imagine a weekend with Van Halen would have been something none of us would have forgotten. Who would be your fantasy to have a lost weekend with in Cabo? Oh my God. I think I would have to say Elton John. In his heyday, not now, Elton John. Well, going to their heyday, I mean, partying with bands like Led Zeppelin or the Stones back in the day, or the Who, Keith Moon, was out of control party animal. So there's a lot of them. Yeah, we could have this conversation for a long time. Did you ever get to see them live? You know, I didn't. It's one of the few bands I didn't, and I really kicked myself because, like I said, when I was young, my guitar teacher was a huge Eddie Van Halen fan, and he was an incredible guitarist, my guitar teacher. And so he turned me on to a lot of Van Halen, and I watched him play these songs I think after David Lee Roth left the band, for a lot of people, the band sort of changed. But I always respected Van Halen. I always loved Eddie as a guitar player. And I think they are one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Yeah, well, I will have to listen to them now. And I think that brings us right into Joel's top five songs. So Joel's top five Van Halen songs are Eruption. Oh my God, the greatest guitar solo instrumental in rock history. Well, I'll definitely have to hear it. Number two is Hot for Teacher. Of course, 1984 is Hot for Teacher. Great video. Number three, Panama. Also from 1984. See, these are all David Lee Roth songs. Interesting. Number four is Jump. Of course, their first and I think only number one hit. And the way they use synthesizers on that song, and Eddie played synthesizers, and then his guitar solo, perfection. And last but not least, Ain't Talking About Love. That's a great list of Joel's top five Van Halen songs. You'll find them on our website. So I can't thank Joel Stillerman enough for coming on to tell this really unique story and this really fun Lost Weekend story with Van Halen in Cabo. Olivia, wasn't that just like one of those throwback stories you just don't get much? Yeah, it's an unbelievable story. And I am so jealous that I didn't grow up at this time to get to experience these incredible iconic rockers. Yeah, absolutely. I wish you did too. So that will do it for us on Sonic Impact Van Halen. We hope you'll tune in. We have two more episodes ahead of us. Bruce Springsteen and our finale. The Monkees. The Monkees to end the season. So thanks for joining us. Olivia, great to see you as always. And yourself. I'll see you and we'll see you guys next time on Sonic Impact. Sonic Impact. Sonic Impact is a production of Sonic Impact Media. The podcast is produced, edited, and hosted by Elliot and Olivia Goldberg. The show is mixed and mastered by Justin Longerbeam. Music provided by Fundamental Music. Artwork designed by Keanu Narsico and Dan Hodgen. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Hi, I'm Lessa Godet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. 
Electricast.